We're going to be looking um, uh, at atheism and the problem of ethics, okay? Uh, thank you, Chris, for doing this PowerPoint presentation all the way um, as my presenter in Singapore, halfway around the world, okay? Um, so it was you guys could look um, with this, uh, if you could go on to the next slide. Um, so today we're going to be looking at ethics. And what I mean by ethics is right and wrong. And I really want uh, what, what I want to show today is even how um, when we talk about this, this is another way that atheism is problematic. And remember the kind of approach I have is something called presuppositional apologetics, where we stress that we look at a system level or what is called worldview levels, okay? Worldview levels. I know some of you guys haven't been here for a while, like Leanne and stuff. Um, I'm going to eventually load these things on Sermon and Audio. I'm just so behind with loading things up. Um, and again, uh, next week, I'm going to do questions and answers just because there's so many things I'm trying to do. Sometimes it might be like, hey, we need to deal with questions. And then we'll pick up again afterward with presentations, okay? So next week is going to be more questions and answers based upon what we've gone over and other questions. And then we'll pick up again afterward of even um, a presentation, okay? So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to really tonight, we're going to be having three points, okay? What I'm going to do is number one is review. And then if you're taking notes, point number two is um, I'm going to look at the question about how ethics actually is the dilemma. It's the dilemma for atheism, okay, is for atheism. Because um, so many times you guys perhaps heard things like, oh, in light of ethics, if there is such thing as morality, then therefore we must reject the Bible because the Bible is immoral. You guys probably heard things like that. But I actually want to say that morality is actually pose a big problem for atheism. Okay, um, for atheism, and I actually want to later on deal with even the problem of uh, of evil, so to speak, from a presuppositional or um, perspective or worldview perspective. Okay, so this is going to be almost like a part two, where today I'm going to go more on the offense, and then next week or, or a few weeks from now we'll look at it from the defense of saying what do we do when they bring up these dilemmas with various things. Okay. So um, three points for tonight. Number one, I'm going to do a quick review um, of just situating like my method of what we're doing um, and what we co covered last week. And then no point number two is what is the nature of morality? What is the nature of morality? Okay. And then point number three is what is the origin of morality? I actually think when it talks about morality and ethics, you actually need God and a Christian God to make sense of morality. Okay, and as we go over this today, I'm going to be more going on offense to say that the atheist worldview does not give uh, ability. What if they if what they say is true, they actually destroy the possibility of ethics and morality. And it's not something that they're just okay with. Sometimes there's some atheists that would say, yeah, I don't believe there's ethics, morality, Christian view. And they think they're okay. I actually want to even make the point that it's actually self-refuting for their even position, especially when we, in my view, I think the biblical view is the laws of logic, that is the laws of thought, is actually a subset of the laws of ethics or morality, okay? So let me say this again. Our three points for tonight is we're going to look at review. And then point number two is what is the nature of morality? Uh, we're asking the question, what is the nature of morality? And number three, what is the origin of morality? In asking these two questions, I think as we explore the various options through a process of elimination, I think the only one that could explain it is that morality must come from God, okay? Must come from God. So in light of this, we're looking at point number one. Um, uh, we're going to look at reviewing things real quick. Let's go to the next slide. Um, you guys perhaps seen this already last time. Um, I'm reminding us of what we looked at 
uh, two weeks ago that whenever we talk about apologetics, I don't want to give it where it's tick for tack, where someone says, oh, give me an evidence for Jericho happening. And then say, oh, here's the archaeological evidence, okay? And here's why we have a general reliability of the Bible. I don't want to give it piecemeal apologetics. I want it actually to have a robust system in terms of worldview, if you guys remember that, okay? And by the way, if I could give, I think um, scripture often use apologetics um, talk about there's this use the analogy of spiritual warfare okay and if you guys uh, I don't want to get too political if there's something um, just someone as interested in military observation and stuff like that as an amateur uh, looking outside in I'm not like a general or anything like that I, I'm looking at the way the Russians fight and I think there's and I'm not bragging about the US military or anything but my purpose is not that my main purpose is I'm so surprised how piecemeal the Russians fight that they could, that one tank could fight alone, and I'm just thinking, why is there just one tank? Where, how come the infantry is not dismounted, right? Typical Marine Corps thing is combined arms, right? That that why we have radio operators in our infantry battalion is I, my job when I was a radio operator is to make sure that the birds come in when when bad things happen, right? And, and not only that, the art artillery is there, right? And then naval uh, air uh, ground. Now I did not do air. Uh, with naval, I did more of the air side, so we all have these things, and so it's all need to be combined. And I'm, even I was looking at this: where is the jets? Where are the planes? Where's the helicopter that's coordinated? Here's helicopters flying alone, just with that. Where the goal is actually the tanks is every weapon has vulnerabilities. Okay, tanks have vulnerabilities. If they don't, if they're without infantry, they're blind. Their drivers could only see so much, right? There's a per, no peripheral vision. Infantry is vulnerable, but the infantry would be the eyes for the tanks. Infantry is vulnerable too, but then at least the uh, tanks would be. I'm bringing this up as to say, c- combined arms is very important. Okay, combined arms is very important. And in addition, that's only the land side. We're not even talking about like what Bo's world with the naval side, right? With all the coordination, with the various things, uh, uh, surface uh, warfare and, and subs, and all of that things and, with the carries and all that stuff. But why would we in our apologetics be piecemeal, just giving one little piece? We should be combined together with a robustness of a Christian worldview, right? If I could give it another analogy, um, you guys hear the story of the three little pigs? What you build your apologetics on matters, your defense. Will it be out of hay? Will it be out of, um, would it be made out of stick? Or will it be made ultimately out of the brick of the word of God, of the doctrine of of the whole robustness of a Christian worldview, all interlocking and, and mutually self-reinforcing uh, the fortress, okay? So a reminder real quick of how do we refute worldviews is, number one, one of, I made the point to say, A, yes, it is somewhat circular, but it's almost circular like a circuit board, okay? And the critique of that is you could point out a problem, like if you're troubleshooting, a, a circuit board could have problems in various ways, and that's analogy of how we critique. We ask the question, is the... Three different elements of, of worldview arbitrary. Epistemology, ethics, and metaphysics, right? And secondly, we also see it's not just only arbitrary, but is it inconsistent? That is, if what they say about these three different wings of a worldview is true, then it, become, it provides its own acid that burns up its own worldview. That is, it's inconsistent, even self-refuting. And the third critique is to say, okay, if everything is true, does it actually explain the things in the world. That's almost like the battery, right? If there's no God, um, I would even say it's there's no battery and everything becomes meaningless um, within the worldview. So these are the three litmus tests that we have. So let's go to the next slide. A reminder of what we covered last week. We This is part two of our critique of atheism. I'm critiquing this just because most time in the West, most of the time people attack Christianity, 
they assume or presuppose some kind of atheistic beliefs. Okay, um, last time we looked at more of the metaphysics and epistemology of atheism, where uh, the metaphysics is saying, oh, everything that exists is only materialistic worldview. Everything that um, is material and physical, right? Uh, things that are extended to space um, is basically matters and motion plus energy kind of world. And there's no God, no nothing else, right? No soul, no angels, that kind of thing. And we've looked at also empiricism. That is the theory that the only thing that you could know, how you know, is only by your five senses. If you don't see, taste, touch, smell, hear, and see, taste, touch, smell, and hear, then those things you cannot know. And we've looked at it and how we pointed that out that when people object to God, for instance, like, oh, there can't be no God because God is immaterial. Or there can be no God because empirism, we can never verify with your five senses. We've made a point that they actually, if you go by these reductionistic ideas, they'd actually blow themselves up. They actually can't even account for itself. It's self-refuting. Okay, it, it blows itself up. So I also made the point not only that they <coughs> blow itself up, but materialism even undermine empiricism. That when you look at this web of belief, this triangle, these things actually provide the acid that actually melt the other parts of the other three prongs. And I'm going to look today more of ethics. Okay, not only do we, when a worldview assume what is true in reality and then you assume okay how do you know these things right um but also i want to even make a point that if the atheist worldview is true there is no foundation at all their epistemology and their metaphysics destroy the foundation of ethics but even there are some atheists that try to explain okay they would say you know jimmy you're misrepresenting um some atheist believes that there's no morality but i'm gonna believe there's morality but even their explanation without god i think is woefully inadequate it's inconsistent it's arbitrary if not even self-refuting also as well okay so let's go on to the next slide that's reviewing everything that we've done before and again i'm doing all this as a worldview critique okay we've already refuted i think atheism is already false to begin with in light of their epistemology and their um metaphysics but now we ask the question about when it comes to ethics does the atheism have problem? And I would say yes. So let's now look at this next point. Actually, I made a mistake. That should literally be point two. What is the nature of morality? Okay. I think when it comes to morality, there's actually really four options. Um, there might be in philosophy, people try to hybrid one of these other kinds of things. But really, um, when it boils down to it, it comes down to these four options. Um, to explain the nature of morality. And backing up a little bit, what what do I mean by morality? What do I mean by morality? I want to, what I mentioned by morality, what I mean by that is actually, I use the term morality and ethics interchangeable, interchangeably, okay? What I mean by that is, what I mean by ethics and morality, um, oh man, uh, what I mean by that is things that involves rules, okay? Things that involve rules um, that govern human choices of what to do. So anything that, re so it involves standard of right and wrong, okay? And what we call classified good and evil, okay? What is classified as good and evil? Again, morality govern human choice of what is and, and what ought, what, uh, correction, what is right and wrong, and also what ought, and ought not to be, uh, to do, okay? So anytime you use the language of should and should not, ought and ought not, um, 
those are I would cover that as the area of morality and ethics. There's something about it that's prescriptive. It's not just describing what physically is a case, but is actually involving rules. Okay, involving rules. So that's what I mean by morality. Now, in terms of the nature of morality, there could be logically. I'm not saying I believe in these things, but I think logically there's four possibilities. Okay, four possibility. Option one is morality is an illusion. Morality is an illusion. Option two, morality is something that's real, but it's something that's subjective. What do you mean by subjective? It's based upon individuals' opinions. Okay, and number three. Option uh, three, morality is social convention. Okay, social convention. This is an umbrella term to capture where people say it's not based on one individual, but it's based upon some kind of social group. And of course, there's various kinds, whether a subculture, a culture, politically, a nation, or even some people would say globalism, right? Like there's a global, um, where they're, you know, be very careful too sometimes when people bash nationalism. Um, there could be extreme nationalism in the sense of nations as an idol, uh, a country as an idol above God. That's always wrong. But sometimes people could actually have globalism is why they're against nationalism. They believe that there's some kind of world order should be uh, the case. And I think sometimes what they say globalism is not even actually for the best of the world. It might even be some few elites that in the name of globalism is benefiting that. So whatever the variety of ethics is whatever this is this social convention is an umbrella word to capture various forms of that but what's common is it's not just based upon one individual but it's a pace upon groupings groups decides morality okay that's what i mean by option three and option four is morality is objective what i mean by morality is objective is that it is not dependent or contingent upon human beings okay that's what I mean by objective. That is not contingent upon one individual or group of human beings. That morality transcends what human beings say. Okay, um, that's what I mean with that. So I think there's four, and usually I would say our actual state of objective morality is God gave this. Okay, so we're gonna consider later on after um, this. Of course, just a reminder how where, what we're going after we consider these four options. We're also going to later on ask the question, what is the origin? Because um, I think morality is objective. Um, but once we eliminate these possibilities, the other three, we consider if it's ob objective, we ask the question, what then is the origin? Where does the origin of morality comes from? Okay, And that's going to be another three option, which we're going to process of el elimination with. Okay, So let's now go to the next slide. Um, option number one, remember the first option is morality is an illusion. Now, I don't think most people go around saying a morality is an illusion It's uh, with that. But I'm just saying, logically speaking, this is one possibility people would say. And there are some, by the way, that say it is. okay. And I actually think if atheism is true, morality actually should be an illusion. Um, because first and foremost, remember the worldview of materialism, what we looked at last week, that uh, if the atheist uh, metaphysics is true, that anything that is real must be physical, then, and if something is physical means extending the space, the rules of right and wrong is not something that is material, right? You can't say, hey, what does, um, where, you can't say what is the address 
of morality. Because if something extends to space, you could say, where is it geographically, physically? Right? Obviously, there's no address you could write to the laws of morality. Right? You can't, you can't ship it by mail. Okay? On USP, uh, UPS or anything like that. Right? Morality in itself is not material. And by the way, it's also not empirical. Right? It's not something you see, taste, touch, and smell. You can see the effects of it, the negative effects of it, but often it's because there's also other values that, that is presupposed that's intangible, that is immaterial to begin with. Okay, So uh, I would say that if atheism really true, there should be morality is nothing more than an illusion. There is no such thing as morality. Again, remember, when we talk about all these things, no, none of these things discussion about ethics is ever in a vacuum. They're in the context, real context of one's worldview, okay, where you bring in your metaphysics and your ethics, uh, correction, and your epistemology, okay? And by the way, we already co covered this earlier, that um, materialism and empiricism is self-refuting because those things are ideas, and there's, no, there's nothing physical Call materialism that's floating out there, right? So remember, it's self-refuting. But I'm just saying, if this is true, and it is not because his art blows himself up, but if it is true, morality, really, the atheist true view should be that morality is an illusion. Now, if morality is an illusion, what does it mean? What does it mean that a morality is an illusion? So if you look at the second part in the bottom of this slide, if morality is an illusion, it does not exist, we would expect an amoral universe, an amoral world, a world where there is no such thing as right and wrong. This world would be absent of any right, wrong, good, or evil. Okay? Um, by the way, when we look at the problem of atheism, uh, I'm going to be quoting even atheists, even Richard Dawkins, the one that people often think of as what? One of the brights, one of the four horsemen of atheism, right? Um, he would even say, hey, there's no such thing in this world as right and wrong. But then he's going to go to the next few pages and complain about a Christian fundamentalist, you know, Muslim jihadist, and I'm scratching my head like, wait a minute, you just denied this, but you sneak it back in. But we'll get there when we get there next week, okay? But if there is morality, is there would be an absence of any right, wrong, good, or evil. Proponents against this view would be able to live consistently in reality without needing ethics and mores or morality, okay? So I'm just saying, if this is consistent, they would then have uh, believed this. And any discussion presupposing morality would be meaningless. So there's all these things, sometimes we think just it's right or wrong, but there's things, for instance, like honor would be nonsensical and unintelligible and meaningless, okay? Or characters or virtues, okay? Or even things, and exactly what Jesus says and others, right? Laugh, react, and stuff. It would be chaos, okay? And also, um, it also would be the... Sorry, Okay, and also, it would also be, there's no such thing as hypocrisy also as well, okay? If this is true, if this is truly the case, okay? Um, okay, uh, sorry, I think I messed with my screen. Uh, okay, so that's uh, that, okay? And by the way, uh, let me say this also, if there is no such thing as right and wrong, there's no such thing as any rights, as any rights. Like, you know, today, our big discussion um and I think this is what, for me, helps me with um, even the cause of abortion. Because, yeah, sometimes it is very scary when someone, they're screaming at you, name-calling you. And, man, if you want to see depravity, and I haven't done as much as some of the other brothers here, but some of you guys have been in our church long enough, knows that we used to be out in clinic. And, man, it is um, crazy. And some people say, hey, Jimmy, it's not your place. People have rights. But then if there is no such thing as morality, then there's no such things as rights 
and even obligations. Okay, there's no such thing as human rights or civil liberties. None of this thing. Remember, this is what it is. And the question is, could anyone live consistently with that? And I actually say the answer is no. So let's go on to the next slide. So this is my reaction to this. Why I dismiss this is this. I think the opposite is actually true. Those who reject morality still see right and wrong, good and evil. Okay, and one of the questions practically, what I would do is someone that says morality is an illusion. I would say, hey, is it my, is it right of me? To impose my standard of ethics upon you. And they'll say, yeah, it's wrong. Of course not. It's wrong. It's wicked. Then I would say, or, or, you know, you, or you shouldn't do that. And I'll be like, wait a minute. If you say there is no such thing, then why are you sneaking it back in? In other words, it is nothing more than self-refuting. Because if it's total morality is total illusion, then they would just say, okay, well, you know what? There's no such thing as right and wrong. And it's just whatever might makes right. Whoever's the strongest wins. Okay. Um, Second point with this is proponents against morality still attempt to live righteously to some degree on a daily basis, right? Because I, I think even with the most hardened sinner, by God's common grace, they sometimes still are not fully consistent with their belief system, what they profess, I mean. And they're still trying to do uh, things, right? They still, for instance, when they go shopping, they, they are, they're not going to ram their carts against someone else's just because of that. Kind of what Jesus suggested earlier, the chaos, okay? And, uh, and even, by the way, even in my own reading in, a, uh, in philosophy, <laughs> scholars who reject morality still often talks about it in a meaningful and intelligible way, okay? And which Richard Dawkins is an example, and we'll talk about that when we get there in a few weeks from now, okay? And those from morality, in the end, I think oftentimes affirm it, just with the example I gave earlier. When someone says, hey, morality is an illusion, and I often see this... Um, Usually, in my interaction, where I often see this is usually places where are where is in the college campuses, um, and also I think out in the abortion mill. Okay, where they will say, "Oh, there's no such thing," but then at the same times they're morally outrageous, right? They're they're having some kind of ethical indignation with, with things, right? And then they'll say things, "Well, you guys are hypocrites," and blah blah, all these things. But then, hey, if in order to even say. Even to mount the attack to say I'm a hypocrite, you need moral categories to begin with. But you categorically deny this to begin with, okay? So I'll actually say this is why I reject morality as an illusion as an option. Let's go to the next slide. Also, immorality and moral... Uh, immorality, sorry, my bad grammar. That is the lack of morality, there's no such thing. And moral relativism, which we'll talk a little bit later, actually destroys civilization, if there's no right and wrong, there can be no justice, and hence no justice system, okay? With no right and wrong, there can be no discussion of political policy. It can just be nothing more than might makes right, right, okay? Some people might live in the fantasy that amorality is okay, it's healthy. If you live alone, so hypothetically, but even then I would say you don't fully truly live alone in Christian worldview. God is always there, Okay. But with no right and wrong, if, if you live in a world where there's another person, even in an island, when you meet someone else, then therefore um, it becomes chaos if there's no such thing as morality. With no right and wrong, people really lived out what they want with no order and peace. And just to give you an example, um, I know some of you guys have been out with me in campus evangelism. You know, Eric, uh, you've been with me out there and, and Ben Wartz and, and some others. One of the things that I'm always blown away is on college campuses when I evangelize is some people, and again, the most of the time I see this where morality is an illusion is in college campuses. Some college student, right? Um, 
And there was one time I had this one English professor came up to me, and he was very notorious for, for being an atheist, and came up to me and basically said, morality is an illusion. You make this up. It's nothing more. And he gave a Marxist view. Morality is nothing more than controlling of people. And he came over to me and says, you need to stop having this board uh, up with everything, right? And I was getting very interested. Um, I was just saying, okay, wait, are you imposing your morality upon me? And he said, yes. And I asked also, interestingly enough, it's like, so you don't like Christianity because of our political implication? And says, yes, it's nothing more than to control people. Then let me, and I asked him, could you describe your political view? And he was, all these things, right? He's pro-big tax. But then I thought it was interesting. So if there's no such thing as right and wrong, then why are you making people give money to something called the state to be able to provide these goods and services? Aren't you presupposing there's actually obligation people have and, and all these things? It's interesting. In lack of all this, why are you then with no morality still presupposing this upon this reality, something that we live socially? But if we are truly um, amoral, then it should result in chaos in civilization. And you cannot impose this unless you go to the next view of the third option where morality is social convention but at least when he was sharing to me he did not hold that option and he actually chuckled and actually because the reason why he chuckled was all the, I, got, I got all these leftist kids when they come attack you sometimes I think it's wise for us to divide and conquer I just turn hey you believe this and how come you don't uh, like how, I mean you guys have contradiction in your own worldview this is why I reject an atheistic worldview because none of you guys could come to an agreement and I'm just turn that back and table back on them Moreover, another aspect to consider is this. The laws of logic actually presupposes morality. So anytime an atheist say, hey, you're not reasonable, a dimension of reasonable or rationality is actually, there is an embedded upon that, is actually the laws of logic, right? That it must not be contradictory. You should not be like making things excluded middle. For instance, I cannot say, hey, guys, I'm half pregnant because that's an excluded middle. You're either pregnant or you're not, okay? Um, and the laws of identity, when I say A, A is A, that's true, right? All these things, rationality presuppose the laws of logic. But the laws of logic is actually what? It's actually prescriptive. It's saying th things that are real and true must abide by the laws of non-contradiction, etc. So that's actually a subset of morality is actually the law of logic. So if there's no such thing, if everything is morality does not exist, there is a world of just the world is just physical and all that there is. There's not only no morality in terms of what we traditionally think of morality of be kind, love one another, that kind of thing. But also you would not have the laws of logic. In other words, their feet is planted firmly midair with no foundation to even talk about reason and rationality to begin with. Thus, this is why I reject this option, that morality is an illusion. I'm going to try to pick up the pace a little bit. Let's go to option number two. Or if I could give it a next slide. If I could give an analogy, I think the non-believer has some kind of intellectual, and I want to make it clear, I'm not making fun of anyone bipolar, but I think this is a good description analogously of what's going on here is there's an intellectual and moral bipolar in this position. There are one word saying, hey, we have this. And in, the, in one stance, they're denying it. So there's this weird thing um, that's going on. And that actually shows as a characteristics of unbelief is it's utterly irrational. But they can't fully suppress it like in Romans 1. So these truth keeps on coming back up again and again and again. Okay, let's go to the, um, the next slide. I combine option two and four together just because I was running out of time making this. The other option is personal preference. This is subjectivism, right? 
But if uh, so, if ethics and laws of logic, including the laws of logic, is nothing more than personal preference, then moral statements are just subjective expression. <laughs> like I like ice cream, I do not like the classics, right? And I know, like even for the example of of, of abortion, some people get really mad. Um, when we talk about these things, I've had people even in our church before in the past where we say, hey, I don't like um, the previous pastor and you, Jimmy. Why do you guys always talk about that this is wrong? But then I would point this out, too. If morality is nothing more than sub- uh, subjective opinion. Now, I like Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And my wife does not like Haagen-Dazs ice cream. She likes something else. Rebecca, Abigail, what, what flavor of ice cream do you guys like? Okay, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. What else, Hannah? Yeah. Same thing? Okay. So, let's just say I don't like a chocolate. When Rebecca, when my daughters, or Abigail and Hannah say, I like chocolate, do I get, oh man, that is so wrong. No, it's just, oh, that's what you like? This is what I like. It's nothing more than that. But when it comes to nature morality, it isn't that. Just a personal preference. So, this cannot account for the other two aspects of morality, where morality is by nature is something that also others ought to subscribe to, if that makes sense. It can explain the prescriptiveness, that is the ought, ought not, should or should not, nature of morality. Okay, If the nature of morality is just personal preference, then it is more relativism. But I also think it becomes nothing more than a fashion statement. Right, that you like this and I like this. Right, I like to happen to like wearing black collared shirt and someone does not. Okay, then that's all it is. It's been reduced to. And by the way, don't forget this is not just reducing to the issue of controversial subject that people don't like about abortion, uh, same sex marriage, but also remember the nature of laws of logic is ethical also as well, and therefore they've also destroyed the uh, foundation for uh, laws of logic also as well, okay? Let's go on to social convention. This is the idea that morality is determined by a group, and it could come with various forms. For instance, some would say the majority gets to rule, okay? Um, and the question is, is morality something made by culture at large? I would say no, okay? Um, morality is beyond just what others think, okay? Um, the cause, for instance, the cause against slavery, civil rights, and or, or for civil rights and the Holocaust have at times gone against the flow of the mass, right? And by the way, usually what I do with, uh, with someone that says, oh, right and wrong is determined by a group, I would often say, okay, what about the Christian group? And then their responses often say, no, I reject the Christian group. And I'll say, what about in the past when there was a Christian consensus in America in the 1800s? Should we then impose a value? And I said, no. And I was, then I would say, why? Isn't it? Is it? And I would ask him, would you be? Would you agree with me that just because there's a majority, just because a group says something is right, does not make it right? And often they would say yes. And I would say, interesting. Then the standard of morality cannot be based upon social convention of however construct, whether a majority rule or the uh, a group of elites determine what's right and wrong that rules the society, and therefore it's a case. Okay. By the way, popular polls change all the time. This again leads us to what? Moral relativism, which again, all the critiques of the lack of morality and subjectivism applies equally here also as well. It's just done at a greater scale, okay? And I actually think morality needs to be objective. Remember how I asked earlier the question, um, could society be wrong? And the question, and they say yes. Now, if individuals could be wrong, individual human beings could be wrong, if a group of people could be wrong, 
the standard morality must transcend the individual, must transcend the group. And I would actually say it must be someone that give it that is God, okay? That must be God. If I could give this, why it must be objective is this. Um, let me ask you guys this question. You guys can answer me. Um, how many inches is there in a yardstick? How many inches is there in a yardstick? Just to make sure if everyone's still following me. How many inches in the yardstick? Anyone? Thirty-six. Thirty-six. Okay, not one hundred and everything else. I know you guys are all testing me oh, uh, with that. Okay. I got it wrong, guy. No, no, it's good. Okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I know. Our, our, I, I think we're thinking about the metric system. Uh, you know, this whole system we have is kind of arbitrary. Why thirty-six? Right? Why not metrics? But that's another story, another time. But yeah, thirty-six inches, right? And you guys know a ruler, a yardstick could be. There's actually bad yardsticks out there, right? For instance, yardsticks usually made out of wood. If I were to throw in a puddle of water. And water shrinks and everything else. Do you think that yardstick would be accurate than another yardstick that has been in a classroom the whole time? Yeah, it would be different. You guys know that if you go to Washington, D.C., there's a Bureau of Standards and Measurement or something like that. There's a platinum perfect yardstick, so to speak. And what I'm trying to give this analogy is this. People go around their lives. They have yardsticks that unfortunately because of sin, they could morph it. They could abuse it. They could... Um, have injury to it, whatever else. But here we see that God's perfect yardstick, it must be objective. In other words, the nature of morality, if we're going to be judging and adjudicating other people's um, ethics, there must be one that transcends individual and the, and society. In other words, it must be objective. What I mean by objective is not contingent upon one or many human beings' decision. Which then now we go to the next slide. I'm gonna, man, I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit more with this. What is the origin of morality? If it must be objective, then what is the origin uh, of morality? And this is a best way to think about it. I would say is I'll go up to somebody and say, once upon a time, how does, and I'll say, fill in the blank for me of how do you explain where morality comes from? I think it boils down to three options. Either it's a byproduct of accidents, either it's man made, or it's from God. Uh, I know my PowerPoint, I just decided to change this just right now. I think I'll start with accident first. What do you mean by accident? It's, it's, um, I actually think morality could be, um, could either, it depends on your story of origin. And there's really a three account in terms of, um, origin of human beings. By the way, if you guys realize the nature of morality in, is, uh, is something that only persons could engage in. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Like, you guys ever seen news where a bunch of rocks fall on, like, a mountain? Uh, sometimes, I, you guys ever have this when you drive in a mountain? I always think, what if all the boulders start crumbling down, right? And I, but if a bunch of boulders crumble down and crash into my car, none of you guys would say, oh, man, that is so bad of you. How wicked are you, boulder? You shouldn't have done that. You would just realize, oh, it's just, that's what it is. So when we talk about the nature of morality, it's actually personal. But the question is, which came first? There's three different views. You could say there's no such thing as persons. Or you could say person came first and then created even things that are impersonal and person. Or you would say the persons, um, the impersonal came first and then the person. But if you have the view, and what I mean by accident is the view that there's no such thing as person out there that exists. Or the view that everything is impersonal first, then the creation of the personal then really what you reduce to is everything is a result of accident. Everything is a result in an accident. Some, in this view, it's the, it, morality then is just happened to be there 
there's no mind or even purpose behind it. If there's no purpose or just something uh, or something's just there, then I think that's no reason why you should abide by that. There's no law-like character, okay? The origin of morality from a source that came from a cosmic chance world, right? If it's all unintentionally designed uh, with this, then it actually destroyed the laws of morality itself, um, okay? There's no reason for you to obey something that just floats out there, okay, um, with it. Um, so I think if this is the case, if I could just give another example, um, let's just say there's a, uh, uh, there's a stop sign, right? If I could say there's a stop sign, um, when I was at UCLA, I had roommates that decided to go steal stop signs because they were um, international students. I had one German, I had one British guy, and one guy uh, from Japan. They decide for fun to go steal stop sign. And I came into my room one day when I was a UCLA student, and I was like, oh, whoa, there's a stop sign. Now, if that stop sign accidentally, randomly, there was a hurricane and it was blowing a big wind, right? And it just happened to land right in front of me while I'm walking. Should you obey that stop sign? When it's a result of random chaos and chance. If a bunch of wind blows a bunch of strings and the string spells out S-T-O-P. Do you guys obey? Anyone would obey and stop and look both ways and give the right of the way to the person uh, on the right? Anyone would obey with that? Yes or no? Talk to me. No, right? Because it's a product of randomness and chance. It's impersonal to begin with, okay? So we could go back to the previous slide real quick. So I would actually say the result of an accident is cannot be the foundation to explain the origin of morality. The question, the nature of morality is interpersonal by nature. So it must be between minds, between persons, and involving persons, one of the characteristics, it has volitions. That is desires and intentionality. So the question then, is it man or God? And if it's man, then we, everything else that we talked about earlier applies. The problem of relativism, okay? Um, the problem of, of, of social convention, all of this, okay? Um, I'm going to pick up the pace here a little bit. And I think the only option left is God, okay? Is God. And by the way, remember the example I gave about the UCLA students that decided to steal a stop sign in my room? That is personal, that my roommates put it there. But would, would you, if you come to my room at UCLA, would you still stop and look both ways, make a complete stop? I would say no, because it's people that put there that, that had no authority, that had no authority to put it there. So not only do you need a person, but someone with authority, with morality for the world, the one that has morality for, to put in this world is the creator, the God who made you and I, the God who revealed himself through Christ. And we'll talk about Messianic prophecies later on in our um, series. But here we see that the only option, that all these other options actually are not only insufficient and self-refuting and is unintelligible and problematic, but yet when the atheists still insist on morality, I think the reason why they do so is because their feet truly are not planted in mid-air. Their feet is actually on the Christian fortress to be able to explain everything that is the case. Now let me stop at this point. We can stop at this PowerPoint presentation. Um, let me ask questions, comments, and applications.
nature versus norm, right? Norm, I believe, is um, you know subject. So there are places where, for instance, when you go to certain African countries, there are certain things that are normal, completely normal over there, but are not normal in the United States. So essentially, it's society that defines norms. You know, however, nature is not defined by society. It's already set by God. So, you know, somebody could decide to say, okay, you know what, here in the United States, you could be allowed to marry your robot. And it becomes a norm. But is it natural? Mm. Not necessarily. Because it cannot self-perpetuate. You know, a robot can never make with like a living entity to, you know, perpetuate the species of the human race. And I think that kind of goes with this whole concept of morality. Yeah. You know, you will not be able to define morality the way you want it. It is what it is. You know, it's standard and it's defined by God. Yeah. So I just want to take that. Yeah, on that note, if I could just thank you, Kofi, for sharing. I do want to share that I think in a Christian worldview, we do believe that um, there are cultural norms. Like, for instance, um, you know, uh, if you go to Asia or certain places, the way people dress would be different, right? Um, and, and stuff like that. And I think in a Christian worldview, that's part of, uh, it's just, it's included too. Like, Scripture says, a be to a Gentile, like a Greek to the Greeks, and, and Jews to the Jews, right? At the same time, there is actual morality, what God wants also as well. Um, if you guys want more of a Christian view of culture, um, there's a man named Henry uh, Van Til, who's actually, I think, a nephew of Cornelius Van Til. He's actually written a, Christ- a Calvinistic conception of culture, but that's another sermon another time. I think you might be able to find it for free also as well on PDF online, but that's another sermon another time uh, with that. Thank you, Kofi, for sharing. Um, and of course, we always want to go by what God ultimately says. If he says something, that's his created order, um, what he wants to obey. Thank you. Kofi for sharing. Anyone else? Um, any um, questions, applications, and thoughts and observations? Hey, Jimmy, real quick, can you uh, name that book again? Yeah, um, it is the Calvinistic concept of culture, I want to say. is If you Google something like that and Henry Van Til, Henry Van Til, um, you would get that. By the way, I think if you just type in Henry Van Til, that's probably his most famous book. You'll see that uh, popped up. I think we began there. It's a long time ago, but I think it begins with he tracks the history development of a Christian view of culture. Um, with that, okay. Uh, any other questions and comments or applications? Uh, I see James raise your hand, and then we'll go to Leanne. Is that okay? I've heard this argument used a lot by uh, by atheists that um, they try to reduce morality to just sort of empathy, right? And I remember asking someone one time, um, well, can't you choose, or a person can be manipulated into having empathy for somebody, but not for someone else, right? So really, it's just a personal preference of it, you know, and I think I think there's a lot of, um, <laughs> there's a lot of difficulty there, I and mean, you're seeing this a lot right now with the, uh, the firebombing of, you know, people, and of course, the church is being attacked right now, because there's just absolutely no empathy for those people Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I could just uh, mention this real briefly, real briefly, because I know I, I do want to go to Leanne. Um, I actually think um, more, uh, the explanation of empathy only reduced to empathy 
is also uh, morality or ethics equal to the same thing as empathy is problematic because um, I mean, you guys probably have heard of the Johnny Depp case, right? The, there's people that are abusive of others with empathy, right? I don't know if you guys, you know, the, which I always think is so weird that the world could talk about toxic relationship where people are abusing empathy and all that stuff. And they will make moral categories and say, this is wrong. So I actually think it's if morality is only empathy, that becomes problematic because morality, empathy actually needs morality where there is... It is wrong for us to empathize with evil, like with the Nazis, and enable that to continue. That's a wrong. Um, that's a wrong manifestation of empathy. So actually, more basic than empathy is morality, which then reduces the problem of explaining the origin of morality. When morality is more basic and fundamental um, to even make a judgment of what is right and unrighteous empathy. Okay, um, and Leanne, go ahead. Evolutionary, uh, I think that one of the leading guys that uh, has talked about this, um, and I do think he's problematic, and it's probably beyond the time that we have, is Sam Harris is one. In fact, actually, he was at UCLA with his PhD when I was an undergrad student. Um, but his thesis have been, uh, his dissertation has been heavily criticized um, by those that's actually in the realm of neuroscience, even in the Darwinian uh, neuroscience. But going back on with that, um, I actually think an evolutionary explanation in a world where it's not made by God is nothing more than chance. What I mean by that is non-intentional driven. And I actually think, um, I gave the example last week, um, if if everything is by chance, then you are nothing more, you and I are nothing more evolved. We're nothing more than just a bunch of, um, what, stardust that just happen to re- revolve a certain way, right? It's almost as if like if you were to get, and I gave the analogy last time, of uh, getting a bunch of dice and just rolling the number, if you land it right and it's beneficial, let's just say you're doing a math problem. Say, hey, two plus two, I want to know if it's four. I'm going to just roll with a dice and it happened to land on four. You would say the result of randomness actually don't give you knowledge. So in light of this, if, if evolution is true, um, it doesn't actually, first and foremost, you, shouldn't, you don't need to obey it. But also as well, if everything's just random, when you say, oh, have morality, it's just nothing more than a bunch of accidents that happen a certain way. I do think there's also a problem, um, and again, I don't have time. If you guys could Google um, Alvin Plantinga's evolutionary argument against naturalism. Oh, that's probably a mouthful. If you Google Plantinga or if you Google E-A-A-N philosophy, E-A-A-N philosophy, he actually gives an argument that if naturalism is true, it actually is not an argument um, for about, in terms of survivability. Um, there is a problem with that tension. Um, Alvin Plantinga is actually one of the former presidents of American Philosophical Association, which is the guild for academia. He's not re- a presuppositional, but he's reformed epistemology, kind of like our, the cousin of the method that I use. Okay, um, E-A-A-N um, philosophy if you google that okay um in light of because of shortness of time we're gonna have a q a next week okay we'll have a q a next week thank you guys for joining i i i hope you guys know i'm trying to make this as as barney style as sesame street style for everyone to understand and to apply and i appreciate you guys joining in and we could still have conversations afterward even if it's a bit delayed today and tomorrow and stuff like that okay um at this time i'm gonna ask for a prayer request 
for um, from Phil, and then I'll close this in a word of prayer, okay? Phil, how can we pray for you? Um, just continue to pray for my brother, my country, and my mom in that separation, and my, you know, trip and future. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll pray for that, okay? Uh, I'm going to close on prayer. And by the way, I appreciate you guys, even when you guys do have conversation, because I know there's some of you guys that are quite bright. Actually, I think you guys, this is the most brightest Bible study I've ever taught in my life. We're you guys all coming in from all these different things and also loving the Lord too, okay? Um, so I appreciate even when you guys add and contribute, because sometimes I can't think as fast on a feet sometimes with some of these things. We all need each other is what I'm trying to say, okay? Uh, I'm going to, cl- did I get everyone? Uh, Phil, anyone else? That's it, right? Okay, let me close in a word of prayer. Father God, just thank you, Lord, for this tonight with this study. We pray, Lord, that this is helpful and beneficial. Help us not to be prideful. Help us, Lord, to be still humble. And I know some of these things, it, it, it requires even wisdom. And may we apply these things with the fruit of the Spirit, both with not compromising, with being firm, but also gentle and respectful and, and loving and patient also as well. Father, we pray, Lord, that you just help us to comprehend and grasp and even to sharpen um, our ability to defend the faith and and, and hold all thoughts going against you captive to Christ. Um, Lord, we pray, Lord, for Phil, that you bless him, Lord, with his travels, with his um, that he will be traveling with, and also with his parents' health, and also with um, Burma. Everything will be well with, with the political situation and everything, but people will trust in you and also with the health, public health issues there. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, you guys, you guys have a good night.